The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Today I'd like to speak to you from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 8 through chapter 10, verse 34. And what this is about is the fact that God equips us to be mirrors of the glory of Emmanuel. We are to be mirrors that the, that the world sees. They can see what Christ is really like in the way that we live and the way that we uh, live our Christian life before him. And it's found in this passage. This is, I think, the third section of uh, the book of Emmanuel. The book of Emmanuel is referring to the Messiah, God with us. And this is about him. But in these circumstances that is going on right now, one of the things that's being emphasized in here is that, yes, God does discipline his children, but not to punish them, but rather to adjust them. What I mean by adjust is if you could think of a mirror that you have to align it so that you can see your image in it, it's that God wants to align our image in such a way that the world can see the glory of Christ. What he does to do that is he makes the changes that need to take place through his taking care of us. And in fact, we're kind of like transponders. Transponders receive, respond, and reflect. And that's what we do. We receive, respond, and reflect the glory of the Son to all creation. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it has an interesting statement. It says, it was revealed to them, and in the context, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. In other words, when they get these prophecies about the coming of Christ and all that he was going to go through, they were not serving themselves, but you, the ones who were alive during this time, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us the truth about God's dealings with us, and it goes like this, for by grace are you saved, talking to believers, for by grace are you having been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, it's not what you do, but it's through faith in Christ, it's you putting your trust in him. God has big plans for us, and he will finish the work he has begun in us for example, listen to Romans eight twenty nine. It says, for those whom he foreknew, which means he foreloved, if you want to be technical about it, those whom he foreloved, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So they could see his likeness in us. I, uh, I have a brother and one sister, and there are people who can look at us until we are related to each other because of the fact that we look like one another. And what God wants to do is he wants to work in our lives so that our lifestyle reflects the truth about who Christ is. So God, that's what God is doing. In this passage, there is this clarification of Isaiah's view of God's plan from his vantage point. In other words, Isaiah prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ. This book is just filled, it's all about prophecy about Jesus Christ. I remember hearing a Jewish person saying, I couldn't get over it. I was reading the book of Isaiah, which is one of our books, and here was a chapter on Jesus. I was wondering, what in the world is Jesus doing in one of our Bibles? Well, it does sound like that because Isaiah 53, when you read it, you can see the Lord Jesus Christ very clearly. And this is why he is at work in us through this book, because he's speaking to us about our relationship with Christ and how we ought to relate to him so that the world can get the benefit of seeing 
him in us, in our lives. So we are to be like responders. We are to be like uh, mirrors of Jesus Christ so people can see us. So what Isaiah had looked at was the create. what he knew about from the Old Testament as he looked back was the creation in the fall. And then in chapter 12 of Genesis, he saw Abraham's call and covenant. And then he saw in the accounts of the Exodus, Israel in at Mount Sinai, and they received the Mosaic law. And the nation was formed. Israel was formed into a nation. As he looked forward, this is what we see along with him. We see, first of all, Messiah's advent. Isaiah tells us about this Messiah's advent who's going to come into the world. This is why we preach, usually preach from a text in Isaiah in, on Christmas is because it tells us all about his advent into the world. And then it tells us about the cross, a suffering savior. And then it tells us about something that's still future, which is tribulation, and that is the chastening and restoration of God's people that's going to take place. And then beyond that is the kingdom of God that comes in its fullness. It's not until we get to the New Testament revelation that we can come to understand how these things fit together. That's what Peter is saying. It all fits together well if we understand the flow of revelation in the New Testament. There were indications that Israel would reject their Messiah when he came, and the fact is they did. The nation has been under discipline since then, since 70 AD. They were cast off the land, and they've been suffering since then. They wander without a shepherd, and they have rejected the shepherd. Although the church has not replaced Israel, we don't believe in what's called replacement theology. We have not replaced Israel, so all the blessings that were promised to Israel are going to be given to Israel in the future because Israel is going to turn to the living God and turn to the living Christ. The people of God in every age are called to receive, respond, and reflect the glory of the Son to all of creation. And so when we are not doing that, God disciplines us. Discipline doesn't mean judgment. It doesn't mean that he's going to penalize us for our sins. It means he's going to make changes in us so that we can function as we were designed to function. That is, as mirrors of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think of the times of trouble that you go through and you wonder, what's going on here? What is God punishing me for something? Have I done something wrong? Or sometimes we just believe it's bad luck. Well, what we should do is think about, is God trying to get me better adjusted so that I become a better mirror of the glory of Christ in this world? And that's a very real possibility. Now, in chapters 1 through 7, this is Isaiah 1 through 7, you have a picture of Christ's public ministry. And then in chapters 8 through 27, we see his private ministry. And, uh, for example, in chapter 8, verse 18, let me just read this to you real quickly. Chapter 8, verse 18, it says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. What he's talking about is his children are the ones that were given to him as a, as signs. That is, Meher Shalal Hashbaz was the older son, and then the younger son was Shir Jashub. And both of those names mean something. Uh, Meher Shalal Hashbaz means the looting will come quickly. In other words, they're going to be looted very quickly. Their enemy is going to come in and take everything away from them, and the prey will be easy. And what do they mean by that is this, this thing is going to unfold, and God is going to accomplish his purpose in working in the lives of his people. And we should be, in our day, because this is talking about in the past, but in our day, what we should be doing is living the lifestyle that people can see Christ through us. This is what Isaiah is concerned about in this particular section of this book of Emmanuel. He's telling us that God equips us to mirror the glory of Emmanuel. 
and that's what he's up to in our lives. It isn't that he's punishing us for our sins. Christ died for us, and he felt the full blow of the punishment for our sins. But what God is doing is he is adjusting us. You know how it is when you're trying to get a mirror to see your reflection in, and sometimes you have to make some adjustments and change the angle and so forth. Well, God is working in our lives so that the world can see through us and the way we live and the faith that we have and the relationships that we maintain with each other. They can see Christ. They can see the reality of Christ being manifested through us. In this section of Scripture, that's what he's doing. And God has big plans to finish the work he has begun in us. Listen to this. This is Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, predestined means he's planned how he's going to do it. He's predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. In other words, God has determined that we are going to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. This work of transformation includes our chastening, even when we go through difficult times and we wonder, why is God allowing this? I still remember a man asking me that question when he's going through a very difficult time. Why is God allowing this? And it kind of stumped me because I didn't know what to say. But now I do know what to say. What I need to say is that God is working in your life to adjust you so that you will reflect the glory of Christ to this world as you live your life. That's what it's all about. It tells us in First Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it was revealed to them, that is to these Old Testament prophets when they were telling us all about Christ, that they were not serving themselves, but you. They wanted to give you a clear picture of who this Messiah was in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look into. The angels have heard all about the coming of Christ and the nature of Christ, and they want to know more about it. And we are supposed to be living such a life that they could look at our lives and see the truth about Jesus Christ. What Isaiah was able to do is he was able to look forward, and we have it in his book. He tells us about Christ coming into the world. He tells us about the cross upon which he suffered. And then he also tells us something future, and that is the tribulation period. You have probably heard that term before. It's a time of chastening and restoration of God's people because he's equipping them to live in the kingdom of God so that others could look on and see the reality and the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. He is letting us know that he works in our lives in such a way that he wants to see us changed just as he did in the life of Israel in the Old Testament. What follows here in Isaiah 9, verses 8 through 12, is of the beginning of a poem. Now, well, there's, the poem is based on Meher Shalal Hajbaz, and there are four strophes, when a strophe is just a, a part of a poem. And so the first part, the first strophe is found in verses 8 through 12. You're going to suffer the loss of territory because of your pride. This is what this first sign teaches us, that God hates pride. In, in God's eyes, a proud man is worse than a thief. Pride is that part of us that usurps God's place. And so he sees pride as a worst offense. The second strophe begins in verse 13, runs down through 17. You're going to suffer war and defeat because of the stubbornness of your heart. He's talking to Israel about the fact that they're willing to, to follow Ahaz as he is hiring someone to do what only God can do, that is protect them. And so he's telling them, you're going to suffer defeat, verses 13 through 17, because of the stubbornness of your heart. Do you look to God and seek him while under difficulty? Do you do that when you go through difficult times? Do you ever turn to God and say, what are you trying to teach me? 
How are you trying to change me? What needs to be changed in my life? We should do that because God has a purpose in our suffering. Uh, his brother, James, tells us in the very beginning of the book of James, his physical brother, James, he writes this, this New Testament epistle called James, and he says, count it all joy, it's the way it's translated, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. And what he means by that, trials can be of many different colors and many different shapes. But he says, whenever you fall into trials, you should give thanks because you know that trials produce endurance. But then he makes this caution. He says, but you have to let endurance have its finished work. You have to let it run its full course. And so it may take a while for this trial to actually produce what God wants it to produce. And so he says, you're going to suffer for the anarchy in your heart, which was sin that spread like an infection. It was kind of like a wildfire. And uh, so this is what he is warning them about. And then in the fourth strophe, which is found in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, he says, you're going into captivity because of your corrupt judgment. Discipline has come, but no change. So, so his hand remains stretched out in judgment. This is what is repeated over and over and over again throughout this poem. The, the, all of these strophes, they all end with this expression, and his hand is still outstretched, or as the New Living Translation says, his fist is ready to strike. So discipline has come to, but there's no change. So his hand remains stretched out in judgment. The New Living Translation says his fist is still poised to strike. Now, uh, I'm stubborn like that, and it doesn't surprise me that these people were stubborn because I've experienced that. But God is committed to me even in his chastisement, and God will win with Israel and with each one of us. 1 Corinthians 5.5 5 says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan. This is Paul speaking about a man who was living in open sin in the church at Corinth. And he says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, that would, this, this kind of destruction of the flesh, what he's talking about is him coming to the place where he repents and he turns. Then there's this parenthesis in, parentheses in uh, chapter 10, verses 5 through 19. He discusses how he will deal with Assyria, who is the rod of his discipline, because Ahaz, the king of Israel, decided to enter into a pact with him so that he would protect them from his enemies rather than God protecting him from his enemies. God loved Israel so much he used Assyria to chasten them. And so he gets Tiglath-Pileser and he uses him against Israel because they wanted to turn to this man as though he were God, as though he were strong enough to protect them. The second sign that we see is found in chapter 10, verses 20 through 34. It's Shir Jashub. In that day, Shir Jashub is talking about the prey, prey will return in a certain day, and he's talking about the day of the Lord. He moves beyond the local to the consummation of the age. Therefore, don't be afraid of Assyria. Fear God. Don't fear that tragedy. Don't fear that difficulty that you're facing. Fear God. Turn to him. This is what he goes on to say in chapter 10, verses 28 through 32, describes the advance of Assyria towards Jerusalem. All the cities that are named there are within three hours' march to Jerusalem. And so he says, this man that he hired as a protector is going to be the rod I'm going to use to discipline you so that their attitude about the Messiah would change. But what about the sins that crop up in our lives and diminish our ability to receive, respond, and reflect the glory of Christ in our lives? How will he deal with those? He adjusts us. 
He chastises us to make an adjustment so we will be properly adjusted so that people can see the glory of Christ in the way that we live and the way that we receive these things from the hand of God. So after the chastisement always comes blessing. It happened with Israel. It happens with us. Tribulation always issues into kingdom blessing. Daniel chapter 4 verse 17 says, This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the man by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and give to whomsoever he will, and sets us up over it, or he sets over himself over it in the boast of men. Now, Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 says this, this is what Daniel says, all the inhabitants of the earth are are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will, that is God does according to his will, according to his desire in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Can you imagine saying that to God? In John chapter 10, Verses 27 through 30, it says this, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Hear that? They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So he says, we are doubly safe. We are safe in Christ, and we are safe in the Father's hand. And he says, I and the Father are one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? What that phrase means is, if God is for us, who does it matter who is against us? God is almighty. He is without any flaw, without any weakness. John chapter 20, verses 27 through 30, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And so we need to understand that we don't need to be born again again. We have been born again once for all eternity. We belong to him, and nothing can snatch us out of his hand. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, it says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things that we need? Who shall lay any charge against God's chosen people? It is God that justifies. That is, he's the one who declares us to be absolutely righteous, so righteous we can live with him in eternity. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yes, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. You hear that? He makes intercession for us. So whatever we're going through, the the living Christ is right now in the presence of God and he's interceding for us. He's asking the Father to meet our needs and to lead us where we need to go. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Because God is the one who has declared us to be righteous. So who can condemn us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted to be sheep for slaughter. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. God has loved us through Christ and we are going to experience that love for all eternity. And what God is, the assignment he has given us, he wants to adjust us so that we can perfectly 
in a better way than we do now, that we can perfectly mirror the glory of Jesus Christ, that people can look at our lives and see the glory of Christ. And so that's the reason that he makes these adjustments in our life. It isn't to harm us. It isn't to pay us back for our sins, but rather it is to make us what we ought to be. God has a perfect plan in our lives that our whole life is to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what he has called us to. And that's what I pray for you. I pray that you would find that God is able to work in your life to such a degree that people can see the glory of Jesus Christ in you as you live your life before him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious message to us that you have a plan and a purpose for all of your dealings with us. Sometimes they hurt. Sometimes we're wondering what what are you angry about. Sometimes we're wondering what have we done. But we thank you, Father. We can know for sure it is because of your glorious plan for us. You want us to reflect the glory of your Son to this world. And we pray that you would teach us how to do that every day. We pray that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please you in all respects. We know that that's only possible through the Holy Spirit working in us. And so we ask you, Father, that you would use us for your glory and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.